Hello, and welcome to the second episode of the Goon History Podcast. This is your host, Huge Gross Burrito, and today, Fleeta McGurn will be telling us about the life and times of Chesty Morgan, burlesque dancer, film actor, and free speech advocate. You may hear some discord noises in this because I'm an idiot. Thank you for listening. So some people are born to greatness and some people have greatness thrust upon them. And some people grow greatness mysteriously and change the world. And that is the story of Chesty Morgan, a little girl from Poland who escaped the Holocaust to save free speech by having massive knockers. So Chesty Morgan was born and her real name is not Chesty. You might be surprised that nobody actually named a little girl Chesty, but it's true. Her name was Liliana. I don't know what the hell her last name was, but she was born in 1937 in Warsaw, Poland. And when she was born, her family was a well-to-do department store owning Jewish family. But unfortunately, by 1939, mm, not so much because of Nazis. So they had to move to the Jewish ghetto of Warsaw and they lost everything. Liliana and I think also her sister actually. So Liliana and her sister were placed with a Christian family and were able to escape that way. But unfortunately their parents died in the Holocaust. So Liliana grew up with her, her Christian adoptive parents in Israel. And when she was a girl, she wasn't physically anything special. She was quite flat chested. And then when she was 17 years old, like all of a sudden, all of a sudden, like it's like the tooth fairy, but it's like the titty fairy. And she just showed up and she's like, you're going to change the motherfucking world. And she's like, zoom, 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 zoom. And then she woke up and she had the biggest boobs in the entire universe. Like <laughs> literally the biggest boobs in the entire universe. Totally natural. Like people say big naturals and it doesn't mean anything compared to this. Anything. <laughs> her, her bra size was a 73 double P. That's not normally how bra sizes work, but I think it's like, you know how like at one point Celsius and Fahrenheit are the same because it's just too much. I think boobs are like that too. So, so you're 17 and all of a sudden you have chronic back pain and everyone stares at you like a circus freak. And now you have to join the Israeli army on top of everything else you've been dealing with. But guess what? You can't really, because your boobs are so big, you can't actually do army shit. <laughs> and I know this because I tried to do archery and that was a waste. <laughs> <laughs> Um, my boobs are not as big as Chesty Morgan's. I just want to point that out. Okay. So she's doing her army service and a kibbutz doing nursing stuff. When she meets a man with a very Polish name that I'm going to try to pronounce, Joseph Wilczkowski, 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 Joey W. So she meets <laughs> and she's like, okay. He's cool. He's cool. He's a Polish Holocaust survivor too, but he's also an American citizen. And a long time ago, that was a good thing. I know it's hard to imagine, but a long time ago, that was a good thing. So she was like, okay, I am sick of picking sand out of my fucking kielbasa. I am out of this bitch. So 10 days after they marry, 
or wait, sorry, 10 days after they meet, they marry, and then they go to America. And she's like, sweet. And she lived in Brooklyn before it was cool. And it was pretty, it was pretty good for a few years. Her husband and his partner owned a couple of meat stores, <laughs> which is shops. <laughs> Meat store. I like meat stores. Sorry, honey. I'm going to be late. I'm working at the meat store. I've been working at the meat store. <laughs> I've got to go out to the pork mines. <laughs> There's a sausage vein. It's rich and untapped. <laughs> so she moves to Brooklyn. And they're doing well. They have a mild meat empire. And she is a housewife and a mom, which is cool because it's the 60s. And back in the 60s, women, like, we hadn't, we didn't have the scientific knowledge yet that women were people. I think legally there were between, like, household appliances and pack animals in terms of, like, rights and general public opinion. So he, he was like, you shouldn't have a job. You should stay home and do wife shit all day. Like yell at the maid and make jello salad. And she's like, but I want a job. And I like want to do stuff with my life. Cause like, you know, I've had a shitty life. So I want to like actively live it. And he's like, no, it's good. It's good. And she's like, okay. So they have been married like about five years they have two daughters, four years old and four months old. And then her husband gets brutally fucking murdered in a robbery. And it was called the Icebox Murders. And the guy was in jail. This was in 1965. And the guy was released from jail in 2007. Which is, like, weird. And then, like, they interviewed his son. And his son was like, why the fuck would they release him? I don't get it. You killed three people and it made national news. That shit's dark, bro. Anyways, so her husband's dead. She's got two kids under five. She doesn't know what to do because, like, she doesn't even speak English that well at this point. And she says in an interview that she thought about killing herself because she, like, I mean, fuck. First her family dies in the Holocaust. Then her husband gets murdered. What the, like, actual fucking shit. So she's, like... I don't like her. She was heartbroken and she had nothing and no one. And she had these two kids and no way to make monies or anything. I said monies. She had no way to make monies. Anyways. Um, so she's dating, but she's thinking to herself, I don't ever want to get married again. Like world is a fuck 50 million dead cops. I don't want to be alive in a world where, like, I'm just going to love a guy and then he's going to tell me again, like, you can't have a job and you can't go outside and you can't do anything. And you just have to sit home and make jello for Dick and Jane all day. And, like, yeah. And then she's like, and then what? Like, he's going to give me more fucking kids I can't take care of and then he's going to fucking die again? Okay, no. But she was dating anyways. Was like, you got to do something. And also her boobs are really big. So, like, why wouldn't you date, you know? You could probably, like, just, like, aim those things like, you. That's how women work. Anyways. <laughs> so, anyways, she's dating. And then she meets this guy. And I forgot his name. So I'm going to name him Steve. And Steve takes her to a strip club one day in 1972. And they're watching the strippers. And he's like, whoa babe 
this is like exactly what you should be doing. Like you, you have a body that's cartoon ridiculous and people would pay money for it. You should like take, take, take those things out and show them to the planet. And she was super pissed. She was legit insulted. She was like, oh my God, you're a disgusting ass, dirty fucking man. Like, how dare you say such a thing to me? (laughs) Fuck you, dirty slut man face. And then she like went home and never talked to him again. But then she was thinking and she's like, shit, goddamn, Steve has a fucking like point. Like, these things do nothing but cause me grief and make everyone stare at my ass and like bother me all the time. And I can't like my bras have to be made by like NASA and shit. Like, fuck, I'm gonna make some money off this. So she did. So not like one thing she she decided before she became a, a naked artiste <laughs> <laughs> is she wasn't gonna be fucking exploited she was going to be in control of what she did and what she had to put up with and like she wasn't going to be treated like a piece of meat like she was going to be treated like a fucking professional ass lady which she was so she goes to a club and she's like hello i have the biggest boobs in the universe and the guy goes okay you're hired there is a problem And the problem was she was really, really bad at stripping, like the worst at stripping. She was so bad at stripping that the first time that she stripped, she forgot to take off her bra. If you have a 73 double P bosom, your only job is to take off your bra (laughs) at any given point. (laughs) So um, not a great start, but she did get better over time. And the club owner actually helped her by like hiring a dance instructor to teach her like how to be a better stripper. So she became a, a, a touring nightclub star. So not just strip clubs, but like nightclubs in general. And she had a, she tried a couple of names. She tried Jaja <laughs> and she tried Gabor. And she did indeed try Zsa Gabor with two R's. (laughs) (laughs) But for some reason, it never really stuck. Probably because she wasn't fucking Zsa Gabor. (laughs) And she wasn't even Hungarian. So where did this come from? So she got the name Chesty Morgan. Nobody knows where it came from. And I think what happened is one day, like a strip club owner was like, Hey, you, you need a better name. I'm going to call you Chesty, Chesty Morgan, because you got them big cans. Because <laughs> that's how all men talked, like, back in the day, like, for, for sure. So she changes her name to Chesty Morgan. And I came up with four names that I thought were better. Um, Meg Missiles. <laughs> Titania good traxa land hmm. but traxa is spelled t-r-a-x-x-x-a because x-x-x because it's x-x-x-x-c oh. yeah yeah and then my last idea which is my, my the one i think is the best is jiggles mcgillicuddy jiggles jiggles mcgillicuddy yeah it's like very sexy and irish maybe so i'd like to read the ad for one of her appearances because it's horrible. Like, 
This is the way I never want to be described in my life, I hope. Anyways. <clears throat> Should I do it in the porn voice? Yes. Okay. The world's chestiest. Exotic. She defies medical science. Fabulous. Incredible. Amazing. Fantastic. What your eyes see, you must believe. Stageland's biggest attraction. That's awful. I never want anyone to talk about me that way. <laughs> I mean, she probably wrote it, but like, that's fine. But like, oh gosh, awful. Anyways, but like, keep in mind, she was taking home between six and eight thousand dollars a fucking night in the peak of her career. That's crazy money for like 70s, 80s. Um, she would do about three shows a night and it would be 20 to 25 minutes each. So essentially she works an hour. That's nothing. Like my ballet recitals were longer than that. And I didn't get paid. I got like some shitty carnations. Fuck that. God. <laughs> Anyways. So what she would do, she was, she would walk through the crowd. She would like talk to the audience. She would offer her tops of her boobs. She'd bend over. She'd be like, Hey, what's up? Thank you for coming so much today to the show that I'm doing here. So I know these things are like so hard to believe, but guess what? You can touch the top of my titty, just the top part. Okay. Just the top part. You can't touch the bottom part. You can only go you have to stay in the Northern hemisphere. You do not go over the equator. You go over the equator, then you die. Okay. Up here, you can take a punch. Like just, just like jiggle it around me like, hey, what, what is that made of? Is it made of meat? Yeah, it's made of meat, motherfucker. That's my boob. I grew that. And then she would let somebody come and touch the top of her boobs on stage. Or she would let them, mo she, she would let her, uh, <laughs> she would let them have a motorboat. <laughs> I think is the grammatic structure I was well, what, what, what my source says is to put his or her, very woke, his or her face into the top portion of her breasts while she shook them in a coochie-coochie fashion. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, I mean, like, I'm guessing it was motor boating, unless it was, like, more to it. Yeah, I think, sounds, like, sounds like we're talking about the same thing here. Yeah, I'm drunk. <laughs> Sorry. but she was like i mean she was very legit about what she did she's like yeah i strip i show my breasts but i don't do a complete nude show i am not a whore i don't do that kind of thing i am not a porn lady even men men don't want women to be totally nude they want something left to the imagination if you just give it all out there it's like okay it's out there and i see it and i'm gonna watch conan but like <laughs> if you don't and you keep a little bit secret like oh damn okay what's going on i need to i need to do the dance of love to find the mystery inside your pants like you know real romantic <laughs> shit um, and she, she was also like, it was closer to a burlesque act. It was more about the tease than the exposure. She would make jokes. Um, here are two of her jokes that I managed to find from her act. I'm not going to try to do it in a Polish accent. Cause I don't know how, you know, why my feet are so small because things don't grow in the shade. <laughs> 
And she claimed to be opposed to women's liberation because, quote, they want to go braless and I can't do it. <laughs> and girl, I feel that shit. <laughs> now, about her bras, this is very interesting to me as a bra owner and buyer and, you know, maintainer. Her bras are made, even today, she's still alive, and even today, her bras are made by the Texas-based company Command Performance. In 1979, one of her custom-made, super-sized, extra-large, like, biggie cut bras would be $50, which is more than I spend on a bra, like, today. And I buy bras for boob freaks as well. Uh, (laughs) Boob freaks is, like, the Latin term. In 1987, it was reported the price had gone up to $100 each. Now, her bra size, as I might have said before, is a 73P. That is two meters of titty, ladies and gentlemen. Two meters of titty. And on stage, she would wear an elaborate costume, which had an ostrich plume shawl, a black gown with silver sequins, and it was reported that some of her costumes cost up to $8,000, which is a shitload of money. At one point, her she was using her appearances to save failing nightclubs in the Boston area, places that were going to go out of business. She would show up and make them so much money they could stay in business and get back afloat. So her boobs saved humanity like all over Boston. There were a lot of times that her boobs either saved or threatened to destroy the world. Um, for example, one time she was supposed to be in Colini's Casanova. She was playing a maid, and as far as I can tell from what I've seen, the role was to be a maid who just happened to have really big tits. (laughs) Unfortunately, her scene was cut, probably because that's not, like, anything to build a scene around, just in my opinion. (laughs) She also appeared in the movie Serial Mom in 1994 in a clip, but John Waters is a huge Chesty Morgan fan, so he has... He has, I mean, if you've seen A Dirty Shame, there's the, what's, uh, what's that girl's name? Ursula Utters. It's like <laughs> Selma Blair with like huge ass titties and she's a stripper. That's totally based on Tusty Morgan because she's a fucking legend. So her boobs saved and threatened to destroy the world several times. Uh, Fellini had to hide them because they would have destroyed the world if they were on film. We all understand why, of course. But there were specific times that her boobs literally got her in trouble with the law because they were so crazy huge and available. So uh, one time in 1975 in Miami, she was at a club and she was performing and allowing people to touch her breasts when she and two other strippers were arrested and they were charged with exposing parts of their bodies in a manner intended to arouse the sexual desire of onlookers. Again! They were stripping in a strip club. So, yeah. (laughs) So, um, okay, Miami, chill out. Have a little less cocaine and just, like, relax a bit. Let's cut to Winnipeg, Canada, in 1979. So she was performing at the Winnipeg Playhouse, and the campus newspaper for the University of Manitoba refused to carry the advertisement claiming that it was sexist. That a woman making money with her chosen career is sexist. Okay. So (laughs) so she held a press conference and the day before her performances and she took questions with the audience and she said, my good people of Winnipeg, chill the shitting 
fuck out. What is your problem? You are super rude. You cannot do this. You know what's actually sexist? Telling me, a boob owner and woman, what to do with my womanly boob body. So why don't you step the fuck off? But she probably sounded like way nicer because she was a classy dame. Uh, next year in Hamilton, Ontario, where I've been, so I can totally imagine this fucking story happening because my God boring, a vice squad officer came to four of her shows and then arrested her because she <laughs> would be a nasty. Okay. <laughs> they brought her to trial. They said that the part of the, of the act where she has patrons toss her breasts is indecent and quote grossly vulgar which is just like so repetitive in terms of phrasing like really that's the best you could do <laughs> the crown attorney stated she encouraged the audience to touch her breasts breasts are a sexual organ in my respectful submission it was a minor version of a life sex act this man mike pence no not really but <laughs> <laughs> like, have you ever fucked? Get a life. Anyways. <laughs> um, so then her her lawyer, who must have been like the greatest lawyer ever, counter-argued. We heard from police officers, city inspectors, and high school teachers, and not one of them said they were embarrassed by the performance, let alone that they were horrified. The Canadian legal system is a bit different from the United States. I guess everything is taken to police officers, city inspectors, and high school teachers, and they decide what happens. Um, I believe that's called a riding. This is a hilarious Canadian politics joke. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> but anyways, they asked all the high school teachers, and apparently they were all fine with it. So then Canada was like, okay. <laughs> and then they, they got a police sergeant to come in and testify. He was like, I didn't think it was lewd. I just had trouble understanding her, but she seemed funny. <laughs> which is extremely chill right it took a year by the way like well almost a year. it took six months to get this all wrapped up so in january of 1981 the judge dismissed the charges and he says the portion of the act that had been misconstrued as indecency was just audience participation <laughs> <laughs> Uh, in spite of the, I'm just going to read this word for word for word from Boobapedia because it's so good. Um, in spite of the favor of really the fine people at Boopedia, wow, this is great. You are so good at citations. Like, I'm so impressed. In spite of the favorable decision, Morgan said that she had, quote, had it with Hamilton, unquote, because she had been a victim of very, very narrow minded people. Her negative impression of Hamilton did not extend to the judge in the case, whom she described as just great. I'm crazy about him. Regretting that he had to waste his fine mind on listening to such nonsense, she gave him an invitation to attend one of her performances. <laughs> now, my favorite story, my favorite story comes from Massachusetts. So it's not just Canadians having, having all kinds of problems. It's also surprisingly Americans being puritanical, who knew? So she's about 15 miles south of Boston. And once again, there's a cop 
who paid to watch the show. And once again, there's a cop who arrested her for her show. And not only did he arrest her for her show, he took away the bar's liquor license for five days and their entertainment license, which is a really shitty thing to do to a bar, like ridiculously shitty. Um, also, the bar owner was Greek. And as a Greek person, I'm like, yeah. We're gonna we're gonna fuck this guy up together, and then we're gonna like use our eyebrow hairs to defeat him. <laughs> so she kept going back. She's like, "No, they booked me in. I am making them money. I just cost them money with this bullshit. So I'm going back to make them money and help them out." And she eventually had to get a fucking temporary injunction to prevent the town from taking further action. She got an injunction to keep them from fucking with the bar more. She's. <laughs> And the establishment, they both argue that this was an important part of her act because it established the link between her and the audience. And it was unconstitutional to prevent, quote, an occasional instance of touching during a non-obscene performance. <laughs> at this point, the chief justice looks at Justy Morgan's lawyer and says, are you seriously saying to me that this woman letting some people touch her breasts or snuggle up is protected speech? And Chesty Morgan's lawyer looks right back and he goes, yes. And the state bears the burden of proving it is not. Damn right. Even though that is the greatest line in legal history, unfortunately, they did lose the case. However, she, she appealed saying that the ban on touching infringed on her right to freedom of expression. Unfortunately, she lost that as well. The opinion of the court was ultimately, since the town had no intention of further action against the lounge, there was really no need to continue. However, her titties obviously saved free speech. Okay. Grab, letting someone grab your titty with your consent is protected speech. That's the rule. And, and that is the law. And you can thank Chesty Morgan's world saving boobs. <laughs> yeah. I guess in that case, inaction uh, on the topic by the courts does really truly kind of imply a, a suggested allowance of it why i'm sorry how do you get to tell a woman like who gets to touch her boobs yeah you don't get to tell me that it's <laughs> precedent bitch <laughs> and that is the conclusion of part one of the story of chesty morgan we had to split the episode into two parts one for each uh boob fleta said she would hurt me if i didn't say this Thank you, and we will be back with part two very soon.